This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. On a recent network television show, the host was interviewing a small circle of people who had made tremendous amounts of money, staggering amounts almost beyond one's comprehension of what one could do with that much money. And not too much later, I happened to see on a travel channel luxury private yachts built for the rich and famous with prices ranging from the tens of millions to more than a hundred million dollars. Now granted, if these people were smart enough to make that much money, it's none of my business how they should spend it. And frankly, I have no business sitting in judgment of them. Well, in fact, I'm not really. But that isn't my point. Perhaps all of that money, well, it's a symptom of a value system that's changing with the here-and-now generation. I'm sure most of us remember that advertising slogan of a few years ago proclaiming the now generation. We want something, and we want it now. The latest this and the latest that. We're being conditioned that if there is something to be desired, well, get it. If you can't buy it now, you can always charge it or even save up for it as a last resort. After all, you'll probably be around for maybe 70, 80, 90 years or so, and it's important to have what you want. But the downside is that we forget what comes after all those years when we leave this planet Earth. What then? Well, those same 70, 80, 90 years are but a blink of the eye in the timeless future of eternity. And how many of us put our actions in what we might consider a savings account for the hereafter? That's sort of the premise for our story of today. It's about a man who was more concerned with that later period of time, always remembering the suffering of Jesus Christ, who gave us a pretty clear picture of what he expected of us. Joseph Cafasso was born on the 15th of January, way back in 1811, in a little village in the northern part of Italy, about 20 miles north of Turin. We know only bits and pieces of his earlier years, those childhood days, but we have a pretty clear picture of his life as an adult by a biographer who knew him well and had a great respect for him and his influence on his own life and future. You know his biographer as St. John Bosco. And you'll see how Joseph Cafasso lived his life, earning his place in the hereafter. It's been written that his early years were often compared to those same early years of St. Aloysius, inasmuch as neither were known to tell a lie or to say anything that would reflect poorly on someone else. My guess is that from a very early age, Joseph's one goal was to become a priest, and he diligently worked toward that achievement so thoroughly that by the age of just 22, he had completed the requirements for ordination and received a special dispensation to be ordained at such an early age. He was then sent to a college specialized in the training of young priests. They were obviously also impressed by the now Don Cafasso, Don being the title for priests in that era of Italy so much so that he was named a professor at the college, and it wasn't long before he developed a reputation for not only his knowledge, but also for his holiness. 
and this proved to be like a magnet in attracting other students from throughout Italy. He, he wasn't content to just teach his students, but to show them by example how they should live their lives and making any sacrifice necessary for them to be the best priests possible. Very likely this was the reason he was often referred to as the priest's priest. He was named rector of the college and would hold this position for 24 years until the time of his death. Although he and another young man, one John Bosco, were neighbors or lived relatively close to each other, they were never acquainted until Joseph Cafasso was in the seminary and John Bosco was a young lad about three years younger than he. In later years, it would be Joseph Cafasso who would be a mentor to John Bosco, and after John Bosco's ordination, I'm sure that Joseph was responsible for his joining the college and, and becoming later on his own assistant, assistant in his apostolate among the neglected boys of Turin, and later he helped him found his own organization as a separate institute for boys a program and a life that would eventually lead John Bosco to sainthood. Perhaps then it's better that the rest of this story, the life of Don Cafasso, would be related by John Bosco himself. In his conversations about Joseph Cafasso, John Bosco first made the statement, I shall limit myself to what I have seen or heard, and even of these I shall have to pass over a great deal, partly because the time at my disposal is too short to relate them all. He tells that in Joseph's youth, unlike many over-enthusiastic boys, he regarded the day as most happy for himself when he was able to give some good advice or to promote some good or prevent some evil. At the age of 15, and in pursuit of virtue, he resolved to give himself wholly to God and labor solely for the glory of God. In discussing Joseph's religious life, St. John Bosco goes on to say, I find myself in the position of a small boy who enters a garden to gather a few flowers and who finds every corner of the garden so filled with the most beautiful blooms of various kinds that he remains confused and does not know what to do. In my attempt to speak of the priestly virtues of Don Cafasso, I am like that boy, at a loss to know how I am to begin." He goes on to explain that Don Cafaso's eloquence in explaining the word of God caused him to be invited from all directions to give novenas, missions, and retreats in response to a constant flood of requests that eventually became so great in number that in order to fulfill all his priestly obligations, it would be necessary to limit his talks to the religious so that they could go in his place speaking his word of God to more people than he could do alone. His public life was devoted to bringing the world of Christ to poor boys who often, because of their poverty, would never know their Redeemer. He would often provide them with clothes so that they might have a better chance of finding employment. For some, when he was able, he would provide the funds for their apprenticeship, and others, 
well, he would provide food for their existence and with whatever means were at his disposal. Certainly, his example would be the further motivation for the work of John Bosco in the years to come. Not content with his teaching, his counseling of the new princely vocations, his work among the poor of Turin, did Don Cafaso also indeed have a, a great impact on men in prison. It was not uncommon for him to spend entire days in prison where he would bring the word of God and the life of Christ to the prisoners who in many cases had never heard of him and probably even more importantly to those who had known of Christ but by their lives and greedy ambitions had chosen to ignore him. These prisoners were his special missions. On one missionary goal, Joseph had gone to a certain prison to work with some 45 hardened criminals and had spent an entire week with them talking about God, the sacraments, and especially the sacrament of confession. The real purpose of this program was to have them all go to confession on an upcoming feast in honor of the Virgin Mary, and their confessions would be as a special honor and gift to her. The day of the feast arrived along with Don Cafaso to hear their confessions, but promises made are not always promises kept. After preparing for their confessions, not one of them came forward. He reminded them of the power of confession as well as the promises they had made, but still not one came forward. Don Cafaso stood there and looked around at all the men who remained motionless in their places, and suddenly his eyes looked at, at one man who stood out from all the rest. He was the largest, probably the strongest, and undoubtedly the most fearsome of the prisoners, complete with the largest and most impressive full beard. Almost by divine inspiration, Joseph went over to the man, grabbed his beard, and held it with a tight grip. Well, the big, impressive man thought he was playing a joke and went along with him, saying, Take anything you want, but leave my beard alone. Well, Don Cafaso replied that he wouldn't let go until the big man agreed to go to confession. Well, the man replied that he wasn't prepared, and John Cafaso said, Well, I will prepare you. The man could have removed Joseph's hand from his beard with his little finger, but out of respect and possibly a nudge from his guardian angel, he allowed Don Cafaso to lead him over to a corner of the room where the good priest assisted in an examination of conscience as he prepared the man for confession while both of them were sitting on a pile of straw. As they talked, the big burly giant of a man began to cry first, and then he confessed his sins. The huge man who had made such a big fuss about not going to confession then told the other prisoners that he had never been happier than he was at this very moment. And one by one then, all the other prisoners then went to Don Cafaso confessing their sins. As St. John Bosco would go on to say, I select this example out of the thousands of its kind because whether we consider it as a miracle of grace on the part of God or a miracle of charity on the part of Don Cafaso, we are forced to recognize in it 
the intervention of the hand of God. And on that day, Father Joseph continued hearing confessions from other prisoners clear into the night from those prisoners seeking pardon for their sins and offenses to God. As a matter of fact, he could heard confessions so far into the evening from the prisoners that the prison gates were locked and closed down for the night before the guards discovered that Father Joseph Cafasso was still there. And after much ado, they allowed him to leave, even though he was prepared to sleep on straw along with the rest of the prisoners. This was not a one-time event. He was a frequent visitor to the prisons, including spending time with those who were to be executed. To him, they were his special children, who would soon stand face to face before their creator. Don Cafaso spent untold hours preparing them for their journey into eternity, so much so that Father Joseph Cafaso would also be known as the priest of the gallows. St. John Bosco also wrote, Oh, if heaven would only come and relate to us the public life of Don Cafaso, there would, I believe, be thousands upon thousands of souls who would proclaim in a loud voice, If we are saved, if we are enjoying the glory of heaven, we owe it to the charity and zeal of Don Cafaso. He rescued us from the brink of hell and brought us safely to heaven. Perhaps one of the most memorable of Don Cafaso's visits to the prison happened on one occasion when, upon his arrival, he was greeted with violence, cursing and insults directed at the saints, blasphemies against the Virgin Mary, as well as God himself. Don Cafaso quietly looked heavenward, offering himself as a sacrifice, putting himself under the protection of Mary, and the violence stopped. And he spoke to them of their religion that had once been defiled, and they became quiet and surprisingly asked him to return again and again to tell them more about this God of his. Time and again he went to the prisons, especially visiting those condemned men to death, where he assisted 68 men who were sentenced to die on the gallows, and he succeeded in converting each of those men before their deaths for the greater glory of God. And there are many more special stories that St. John Bosco relates about his good friend and mentor and his special relationship with those on whom the government was exacting a death penalty. And Don Cafaso was there often just in time for them to repent and to save their souls. As St. John Bosco continued in his discourse about the many virtues of his friend, he was most emphatic in discussing the private life of Don Cafaso, those personal times away from the public and out of sight in which he was living a life of mortification and offering himself as a sacrifice for the sufferings of Christ for his sake and for our sake for that matter. In the actual words of St. John Bosco, he mused, Oh, if the walls of that privileged room in which Don Cafaso lived could speak, to what virtues, what acts of charity, of patience or suffering, it would render glorious testimony. 
unlike so many of, of us who have bad days and show it. He says that Don Cafaso was always affable and friendly, never letting a visitor depart without consoling him with spiritual or temporal comforts, and that he always seemed serene and genuinely interested in their concerns. And while the demands on his time for his counsel and advice were great, he never seemed to rush his guests, despite the multitudes of activities with which he was involved that were time-consuming and demanding of his energies and concerns, never giving any indication of impatience or hurriedly dismissing his troubled visitors. And during these visits, whether in his office, on the street, in public, or wherever, he greeted everyone with humility and respect. He had the constant feeling that every moment of time was a treasure to be valued and made a concentrated effort to take advantage of every minute to do good. I think it necessary again to remind us that these are not pithy comments given lightly, but sincere memories of a saint about his mentor and perhaps meant to show us what can be pleasing to God for us to imitate in this fast-paced and troubled world where we are bombarded with temptations and frustrations as the clock ticks its way through the minutes of the day. To Don Cafaso, every minute was a treasure, but more importantly, Every minute was also an opportunity to do good. St. John Bosco goes on to recount how Don Cafaso took great care in giving advice to seminarians and young priests during the years he was director of the institute, teaching them how to survive spiritually and live in the world without becoming slaves to the world and its superficial temptations, and how to be good and true priests, giving to Caesar what was Caesar's, but giving to God what was God's. For many, even the students who were close to him, they had no clue to the constant mortifications he experienced as as constant offerings to God. Perhaps only someone as close to him as St. John Bosco, who was also such a very good observer, would we ever know the depths of the daily sacrifices he offered to God and in reparation for the offenses committed against him. As I alluded to earlier, I believe, without thinking about it as such, he was foregoing a moment of earthly enjoyment for an eternity of happiness in heaven. St. John Bosco speaks candidly of the many secret mortifications that Don Cafaso offered as a loving gift before the altar of God. I think it's important to touch on just a few of these mortifications that were part of his daily life. I'm certain that as he meditated on the life of Christ with particular emphasis on his passion, the scourging at the pillar, the crown of thorns pushing into his head, carrying the cross on his shoulders, his bloody shoulders from the whip, the nails being driven into his hands and feet and then hanging on the cross for three hours. He was thinking, what sacrifice or penance can I do that would even come close to what Christ endured to open the gates of heaven for an eternity of happiness if if we paid attention. Well, he paid attention. 
St. John Bosco tells us of some of the mortifications offered, such as wearing a hair shirt, an uncomfortable scratchy garment under his clothing, and that Don Cafaso would often place objects in his bed to make it less comfortable. St. John Bosco in his accounts states that he would only recount those sacrifices that he had personally seen and that so many of the little things he did were so slight that most people would not notice. For example, he would never support himself by leaning on an elbow or made himself more comfortable by leaning back and and even crossing his legs. And what, in my opinion, is a pretty hard thing to do, he never complained of anything or said that something did not please him. And even from his youth, he practiced certain gifts of mortification on various days of the week. For example, every Saturday was a day of strict fast in honor of our Blessed Lady. And this gradually gave way in which not just one day would be a fast day, but every day would be an offering, and eventually his life became that of a a continuous fast with just one simple meal a day. Though he didn't make a big to-do about any of his fastings or other activities, his friends and associates began to notice the fast and suggested that he moderate them to some degree, but he only replied that he felt his health was good and he was quite satisfied with his diet. His associates would one day remember that they never heard him complain about disliking any meal or serving. And if he was subjected to extreme heat or cold, he would bear the discomfort without uttering a word of complaint. I feel it necessary again to keep repeating that these accounts of Don Cafaso come directly to us from St. John Bosco. Perhaps one of his greatest gifts was in the confessional. Much like Padre Pio, he would spend hours hearing confessions of the faithful, and it was not an uncommon occurrence for him to enter the confessional at seven in the morning and not leave until noon because of the great numbers of people seeking forgiveness for their transgressions and the advice and comfort that he would give them. In the winter weather, there was no heat in the confessional, and when he would emerge, people would see him shivering from the cold, and yet he would refuse the luxury of adding any warmth to the confessional. Hearing the sins and problems of the people were like a, like heavy weights on his body. People would notice him appearing weak as he left the confessional and would sometimes have to stop and rest several times in pews on his way to the sacristy. A sacristan once prepared a kind of heater to be used in the confessional, but Don Cafaso merely pushed it aside. While many of us enjoy various games or amusements, Don Cafaso always refused, saying he had something else that he had to do. The only exception he made was with prisoners. He would often join them, but not for his amusement, but in order to become closer to them so that they would pay more attention to the advice he would give them in the confessional. When others would suggest that it would be good for him to become involved with recreational activities, he would respond that the body is insatiable. The more we give it, the more it wants. Think about that. That's a pretty pretty sound observation. 
And St. John Bosco tells us that Don Cafasso lived by four secrets. The first secret was his constant tranquility, which was attributed to the saying of St. Teresa, Let nothing disturb you. Live your life in tranquility, so to deal with the troubles of the world. The second secret was a great confidence in God so that doubts and difficulties would disappear, and when a problem arose, let God help you solve it. His third secret was utilizing to the maximum his time and not frittering it away with idleness. As soon as one task was completed, he would immediately tackle the next, knowing that that moment of opportunity would never come again. The fourth secret was his temperance, or perhaps it would be more fitting to call it his austerity in giving up the luxury and pleasure of large and tasty meals. And and his last or, or, or fifth secret was the maximum use of his time by curtailing what he would consider lost time by spending it in unproductive activities such as resting or sleeping. His usual time for sleep was probably a maximum of five hours a night, with four hours possibly an average. And if he woke during the night, he would immediately get up and pray. Now, these may seem strange and possibly too extreme, but for Don Capasso, they gave him the opportunity to accomplish so many things, save so many souls, and labor so arduously for the promise of eternity in heaven. As he approached his 50th birthday, he appeared to be wearing down by the fruits of efforts, exhausted by the sacrifices he had offered, as well as his own personal penances and fasts. He was suffering severe stomach disorders and other physical problems that were now sapping his strength. On Saturday, June 9th in 1860, while very ill, he went again to the confessional where he spent another four hours hearing confessions until about 11.30 in the morning when he left the confessional and made his way to the high altar and prayed, My God, I accept whatever kind of death it may please thee to send me with all its terrors, all the pains and all the sufferings that shall justly accompany it, and then added, O Mary, I ask thee for one more grace. Obtain from thy divine Son that I may die with thee, and that I may fly to heaven with thee, and there to commence that life which will be my occupation for all of eternity. His ailments were probably with his lungs and and hemorrhages of the stomach. He said several times that he would not recover. He was convinced that the pains he was suffering were his purgatory. This final sickness was to go on for thirteen days, and while he had many visitors, he would receive them with kindness, and then he was pleased when they left because it appeared that it gave him more time to speak with God. He desired ardently to breathe forth his soul in the arms of Mary, his mother. He prayed, I hope and I ask as the greatest of your favors that you come to assist me at the last moments of my life. Oh, then, when I shall see thee, I shall throw myself into thy arms. As St. John Bosco describes the last few moments of the life of Don Joseph Cafasso, he said, But behold, who is it that Don Cafasso sees? 
greatly moved. He opens his eyes and appears who wish to speak. He raises his hands and his whole body appears to be lifted up in the air. Is it not Mary who has appeared to him? Yes, Mary has come to comfort him. Mary assists him and calls him. Don Cafaso expires and his soul is carried by Mary to heaven. On his death, St. John Bosco writes a postscript. Perhaps for us, in our troubled times, he writes in part, Let us thank divine bounty, which has raised our friend to such glory in heaven. But before we leave this place, you, Don Cafaso, console us in our loss. Deign to cast a look on your friends here assembled. We pray you to keep us firm in the faith which today is meeting with such terrible opposition. And then as if a message to the whole world, to you and to me, he says, pray that we may follow your example, detach our hearts from the things of this earth, and live in charity toward our neighbor, and in love toward God, and that we may be accompanied and guided by Mary to heaven to enjoy and bless God with you for all eternity. Well, not many of us can live the kind of life of Don Cafaso. He simply did his best. And what do we learn from the real story of his life? Well, to try to please God by doing the very best we can and pay attention to what he has taught us, and that is to do all that we can for the greater glory of God, to do our best and that will suit God just fine. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.